The scripture reading this morning is taken from Colossians 1, verses 15 to 20. It can be found on page 200 in the New Testament section of the Church Bibles. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you I know provide tutoring services to immigrants in our community, and one of you who does that called me a couple of weeks ago and said, is it possible to provide Arabic or Kurdish language translation for the uh, Easter morning worship, and I, I have to say, uh, rarely has a question excited me so much in, in ministry, I, and so my first thought was, uh, who in the congregation speaks Arabic, who might be willing to do that, and uh, we, we identified someone, I think Dana uh, is here this morning, fluent in Arabic, very willing to uh, translate the service for uh, these Arabic-speaking young women, and then uh, the, the, the more... A uh, critical question occurred to me, how do I, uh, how do I tell the Easter story? Uh, perhaps the first time they will have heard it in a, a Christian congregation, how do I tell the Easter story with the, the kind of excitement and, and uh, power that it deserves? And in the end, this group of young women uh, made the decision that this was not the right uh, day to come. I still hope that they will come and, and join us for worship. But that other question has stayed with me for the last two weeks. How to tell this story in, in the way that the story deserves. We're going to be looking at Matthew's Easter account this morning. It's found in Matthew chapter 28. And I invite you to listen or read along. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descending from heaven came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. For he has been raised, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has been raised from the dead, and indeed he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. 
This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, maybe it's just me, maybe you have never felt this way before, but I think holidays are the times when we most think about home. Uh, about the country where we once lived and where some of our family members still live, and about all the customs that for some reason uh, no one in this country seems to know about or care about. Uh, I think it was because Laura Fisher, our uh, administrative assistant, went out to buy an Easter lily for the church office that I uh, first thought of this, but whatever the reason, last week I suddenly remembered an Easter custom from back home that no one here seems to know about or care about. Right? And, and for a few days it made me feel uh, nostalgic and, and homesick. Uh, every year in the, the, the weeks leading up to Easter, the churches I served before this one, and this happened in every single uh, one of them, the, the churches would invite people, and you didn't even, didn't even have to be a member of the church to participate, uh, we would invite people to purchase uh, a lily, a small plant, uh, with green foil wrapped uh, around the bottom. And then on Saturday before Easter, all of these uh, lilies would be delivered uh, uh, by the flower shop to the church, and a small group of volunteers would come together to arrange them in the front of the church, often in elaborate ways. And uh, often there would be two to three hundred of these uh, Easter lilies, so this was not a small task. And I mean, you can't just line them up, you have to make it interesting. And, and I have no skill whatsoever in, in floral arranging, so I would stay in my office working on the Easter sermon, but I'd come out toward the end, and, and, and I would spend a few minutes with these faithful and dedicated people. And then on Sunday morning, uh, Easter morning, I always tried to be the first person at church, partly because I wanted to be the one to say, Christ is risen to, to everyone who, who walked through the door. Uh, but partly, and I think I can admit this to you, uh, partly because I love the smell. I love the smell of those lilies, hundreds of them with all of uh, th- those flowers just, just beginning to, to open. I mean, to, to open that sanctuary door uh, in the darkness of Easter morning and to be greeted by that wonderful smell was, I don't know, it's just overwhelming. Uh, okay, that's the moving part of that story. Right? Uh, that's the part that I miss. And, and the part that I feel sad about today. But there's another part uh, to this story that I don't miss at all, and that, were, and, and that was getting the names right. So if you bought an Easter lily, that meant that we would print a line in the, the bulletin, and the line uh, would be uh, given to the glory of God in loving memory of, and then there would be the name of a loved one, a, a, a parent or a grandparent, a, a wife, a husband, in a few cases, a child. And as you can imagine, or, or maybe you can't imagine how difficult and stressful uh, this was, getting every name right took a lot of work. 
uh, at least three or four people in the church office would, would read through that entire list and, and compare the names with the, the church directory. And, 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 because, of course, you know, we had to do it right. The, the families would arrive on Easter morning and they would get their favorite seat in the back of the church because that's the best place to sit in every church. And, 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 and then they would open their, their bulletin to find the name. Well, there's mom. Right, there's dad. Right, and if the name was spelled incorrectly, well, Easter would be ruined. Right. So that insert was the sort of thing that people would, would tuck into their Bibles and, and, and they would hold on to it for the rest of their lives. I think about that custom today, and I'm, I'm not sure why I never thought of this before, but that custom was a good one. And that custom says a great deal to me about why this day is so important to us. Uh, Easter, see if you don't uh, agree with me about this. Easter is the day when we express our most deeply held hope that in spite of everything, and in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary, in spite of all of the death and disappointment in the world, in spite of bombs placed in churches on, on Palm Sunday, that Christ has prevailed and, and that the victory has been won. And of course, because he, has, because he has prevailed, we will prevail as well. I mean, I would even go so far as to say, and, and I have said this just about every year on Easter, and I will say it as long as there is breath within me, uh, if there is no Easter, and, and if Christ has not won that decisive victory over sin and terror and death, then we have no faith. All right, there's no point to what we do. There's no need to come together week after week if, if there is no resurrection. And I know that at this point someone is going to say, well, yeah, but he was, he was such a remarkable teacher. Yes, Jesus was a remarkable teacher, and it should be astonishing to you that nearly 2,000, that 2000 years later, we are still talking about him and about what he said and how he said it. But unless this story is true, unless the tomb was empty, unless there was a resurrection, then most, if not all, of what we do is in vain. I love Matthew's account of this day. It's different in some significant ways from the other accounts, but you have to remember who Matthew is writing to. He has a, a different audience in mind from the other gospel writers. Matthew was writing to Jews who had become Christians. Right? Jews who, who knew their scriptures. Jews who grew up hearing about Sinai and, and, and who were accustomed to hearing about mountains and earthquakes and lightning and so on. And, and that was the Bible they knew. I mean, read, read, reread the book of Exodus if you don't believe me. So Matthew has fashioned the story in, in terms that his audience would understand. This account would have made sense to them. Uh, you know, the earthquake and the, the resurrection story uh, never seemed all that important to me. I, I mean, I never thought about it, uh, uh, to be honest. But last week in my reading, uh, I found that there were some uh, forensic uh, geologists. There's really no such thing. But there were some scientists 
right? Uh, scientists ha- have examined the geological records from the first century, and, and you won't be surprised to know that there is evidence of considerable seismic activity very early in the first century. You know, Matthew mentions an earthquake at the time of, of Jesus' death, you know, that time when the, the, the curtain in the temple was torn in two, and then another earthquake, perhaps an aftershock, which are often just as large in size as the original tremor at the time of Jesus' resurrection, and, and the geological record confirms Right, it's something that something like that happened. Right, Matthew was not making this up. Uh, I never used to think that any of that mattered, and in some ways it doesn't. But but there it is. Matthew was writing what he knew and and what he had been told, and and what all of the eyewitnesses had seen. Matthew is the only gospel writer uh, to mention soldiers or guards. I mean, there was a rumor, probably spread by the the high priest or his public relations office, uh, that the body had been stolen, most likely by the disciples. Uh, So Matthew wanted to set the record straight. There were guards at the tomb. There was no theft of a body. That was an ugly and, and, and slanderous rumor. What happened, as it turned out, was far more interesting. And, and far more astonishing and beyond anything we might have imagined. What all of the gospel writers agree about is that a group of women went to the tomb early on Sunday morning to wash and prepare the body. It's not clear who was in this group. Matthew mentions Mary Magdalene and and the other Mary. There may have been one or two more, we don't know. But what's important is that they were determined to give the body of Jesus a, a proper burial. And, and what happened on Friday as the sun was going down was not a proper burial. Whatever they did on Friday night was done quickly. And so the women, the women were going to do it right, carefully, lovingly. Uh, John's Gospel mentions that Nicodemus donated about a, a hundred pounds of, of burial spices, which was quite a lot actually, and, and was meant to be a tribute or a, a memorial. It was a lavish gift. And so the women did not have to carry everything that they needed. Uh, each of the gospel writers has a, a slightly different way of, uh, of describing the hour of the morning with, without ever saying what time it, it really was. Uh, early dawn is the, the one I like. It can also be translated as uh, deep dawn. Matthew has uh, as the first day of the week uh, was dawning. Right? But whatever the words, the, the effect of these descriptions is similar. In other words, no one could really see very much. Right? You, you strain to see, but you, you, you can't see clearly what's happening. And, and this is true, by the way, for physical as well as spiritual sight. Right? They're not sure at first what is happening. Uh, Matthew mentions that an earthquake uh, added to the confusion of, uh, of the early morning. I've never experienced an earthquake. Maybe some of you have. Uh, but they're apparently quite frightening. The, the, the ground feels as though it's rolling and standing becomes difficult. And, and, and not only was there an earthquake, but an angel appeared who rolled back the stone and, and sat on it. And, and, and then, as I said, there were the guards. And I, I, I've always thought that it was a little humorous. Uh, to be honest with you, you know how soldiers are. They pride themselves in their physical fitness and, 
and their bravery and their proficiency with weapons and so on. But according to Matthew, these guys shook and became like dead men. Right? Maybe they were reserves. Uh, a, a little out of practice. Men who had been called to active duty for the holiday. Uh, there isn't much humor in this story. I'll, I'll grant you that. But I've always thought that the, the behavior of the guards was a little bit humorous. All right, the women weren't all that frightened right, uh, by the angel, but, but the guards were. Anyway, a, a, a whole company of soldiers, a whole company of soldiers would not have stopped what God had in mind to do on that morning. And, and then, of course, the angel spoke. And the angel said what angels uh, always say in the Bible, namely, don't be afraid. Right? And, and the angel might have said, well, this might be confusing to you and, and not at all what you were expecting to find this morning, but trust me that something extraordinary has just happened. He has been raised, as he said. So uh, there is the remarkable truth of Easter morning. And, and the reason we gather, and the reason the, the choir sings, and the reason we print more bulletins on Easter than on any other Sunday of the year, and, and the reason we have brass instruments, and the reason I, I would never, ever miss a morning like this. Right, he has been raised, as he said. I can't believe I'm going to mention verb tenses on a Sunday morning. I don't think I've ever done this before, but maybe it's German study that makes them seem important to me. Right? But in this story, there is the most wonderful, most beautiful verb tense in the history of verb tenses. Did you see it? He has been raised. Past perfect. You know, done, finished, taken care of, in the past, completed action. Right? As he said. One more thing. The story says that the women who were the first evangelists in history, by the way, the women left the tomb quickly because they had a job to do, and they left with fear and great joy. Right? And just so you know, in the first century, people uh, did not often uh, speak about their interior lives. Uh, people today talk about their feelings all the time. We, we can't seem to stop. Uh, we, we post them to Facebook. Right? We're happy or sad or disappointment or disappointed or whatever it happens to be. And then there's an emoji to go along with it. Right? Uh, for every feeling that we have. Right? But not in the first century. The people at that time had feelings, of course, and the Greeks uh, like to refer to them as the, the passions. And, and they thought that they originated in the belly or the, maybe the heart. And, and they liked to see them acted out in the theater. And, uh, but here's the thing, they didn't talk about them. Right, certainly not in the way we like to talk about them. Which makes this story, it seems to me, all the more remarkable. The women, we are told, left quickly with fear and great joy. Right? In a culture where feelings were not typically expressed, they couldn't hold in what they were feeling. They were filled up and, and bursting and looking for the first person they could find to tell the story to. And, and I mean, how could the disciples have been sleeping in on a morning like this, but they were in a rush to tell those disciples? You can just imagine that, that, that these women wanted nothing more than to say something to somebody. And who was the first person they meet? Well, it's Jesus, of course. He hasn't gone very far. 
and, and, and more than likely, he is glad to see them too. They are glad to be together. A couple of days before this, a reunion seemed unlikely, and, and, and now they are together. And the women take hold of him and, and as if they are never going to let go. Have you ever held someone like that? Man, a child, a parent, husband, a wife. You're together again, and, and, and you never want to be separated. Right? That's the sort of grip that they had on Jesus. Look, if, if anyone asks you uh, later today how Easter worship was, you can say that you were filled with fear and great joy. Right? You have heard a story that is so extraordinary and, 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 and so unexpected and so wonderful and, and so far beyond what anyone thought possible. Uh, he has been raised. Past perfect. He has been raised, as he said. So please, would you tell them, please tell them that a great victory has been won. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for the wonderful news of this morning, the, the wonderful life-transforming news that Jesus has been raised from the dead, and that because He has been raised, we will be raised as well. Uh, our prayer is that you will let this message sink into our lives and then transform them so that when we leave today, we, like those women, will not be able to hold it in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.